Welcome, friends, to the Girl Mom Podcast. This is Carrie Kampakis, your host. Today, I am kicking off a new season with a very special young friend who recently graduated from Auburn University and has moved back here to Birmingham. Her name is Mary Lauren Burdishaw, and if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll probably remember her from the episode from last December where she shared some encouragement for college girls. We had the best time with that conversation and heard so much great feedback, and my favorite feedback actually came a few months later when I was in Louisiana for an event, and a mom came up to me to rave about that episode and say that her husband even asked if they could get Mary Lauren to marry their son. Now, if you know Mary Lauren, or if you have listened to episode 29, which I encourage you to if you haven't already, you'll understand why her husband said that. It was a God thing that brought us together before, and also this time as well. And when Mary Lauren and I recently talked about doing some more podcasts together and had a three-hour conversation just bouncing around ideas, we knew that we'd stumbled upon something and would have no problem talking about life and faith from the perspective of both a mom and a wise big sister. Chances are we may jump around and even go down a few rabbit holes because we tend to do that in our conversations. But my hope is that you'll feel like you're right here with us, chatting it up with good friends who love deep conversations and processing everyday real-life realities together. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome, Mary Lauren, and thank you for coming back to the Girl Mom Podcast. Yes, ma'am. It's good to be back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I'm so excited to um, talk about this topic. I mean, we both have a lot of thoughts and ideas and things to share, but... You know, I think it's something that's it's a really common topic, but something that rarely gets talked about. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that parents really struggle with is all parents want their kids to make good choices, especially in the teen years, because good choices are going to set them up for a positive trajectory for their life. And even their friend choices are going to have a major impact on the kind of life that our teenagers have. Um, you know, one of my favorite old sayings is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And it's really true. You know, like mm-hmm. the friends that our kids choose are going to really determine what kind of situations they end up in and what kind of opportunities they'll have and just mm-hmm. their goals and their what they're going to strive for in life. So um, it's hard to stay on a good track when you're surrounded by people who are making the wrong choices. So as parents, we've got to be very cognizant of that. But what often happens, especially in Christian circles sometimes, is that you have teenagers who are making good choices, yet they're very judgmental or self-righteous toward their classmates who are not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you know, just at that age, it's very easy to think very black and white, but, you know, what happens is that they can sometimes start to feel morally superior to their classmates. And as we all know, you know, that can lead to the worst sin of all, which is pride. And, um, and it's interesting as a mom, you know, I've, I've actually heard a lot of moms express this concern over time. And I think it takes a very humble and wise mom to be able to see that, that issue in their child's heart. Because mm-hmm. a lot of moms will say, you know, yeah, he or she, you know, they're, they're, they do great. They're making all the right choices that, you know, it's kind of what you want your child to be doing. But the worry, the concern in their mom's heart is that they judge their classmates too harshly or they want nothing to do with their classmates who are making some bad choices. And so, you know, it's tricky because I'm not saying that you should just let your kids go join, you know, every wild party on Friday or Saturday night or go be part of these things that maybe their classmates are doing. But I do think it's very important for help, to help our kids be aware of those sins of the heart that can be even more detrimental and destructive than any external sins we see. And for us, too, as parents, because it's very easy for us to get prideful and self-righteous about that. And just to know that any pride is going to come from the enemy. It's not from God. And it can really give us a false sense of security of thinking that we're doing good or that our children are doing good, um, when in reality, there's a bigger problem going on underneath the, underneath the surface. And um, we can kick off this conversation. I just want to share a story that I've always kind of thought about this issue, and I've really been thinking about it more lately after my husband was telling me about a conversation he had with a guy who is um, a guy he knew in college, and this guy's a friend that he's in a great place spiritually now. He's very sound, very wise, but, you know, something he's realized over time is that his, um, he has a lot of, he had a lot of judgment and self-righteousness toward this one particular guy who had been in his fraternity. And so this guy was president of his fraternity. He was a little bit of a goody-goody in college, if that's possible <laughs> when you're in college. But he made a lot of good choices, and he was very respected. But there's this one guy in his fraternity who was just the wild child and made all kinds of crazy decisions, was off the rails crazy. And he just he hated him. 
And what happened was even after they graduated and he didn't even see this guy anymore, that, that, that bitterness in him just kind of built up. And every time he thought of him or the name came up, it just he would feel this rage. And he really didn't think about it too much until he was in his 40s and he was growing in his faith. And he realized that he had a heart issue he had to work on. And so he really started working through this with God about, you know, getting over his judgment and self-righteousness toward this guy that wasn't even part of his life anymore. And um, as God would have it, you know, I think they saw each other a few years later at a party, and he went up to him and confronted him and, and apologized, basically, for being a jerk and being so self-righteous toward him. And um, and it was great. And this is the beauty of, you know, of you know, asking for forgiveness and giving forgiveness and all that. They both, you know, they both cried and hugged and made things right between them 30 years later. But that story really, I think it illustrates well of where you can be when you're 18 years old versus where you may be when you're 48 years old and you're seeing things in a different perspective about, you know, how do, how can you make those right choices, but yet not judge and especially not hate or feel that anger toward your classmates who are not. So launching off of that, I would love to hear your thoughts and your opinions. Just, you know, you just graduated from college. So you've had, you know, a lot of experiences in high school and college and just tell me um, how you do that and what, what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, that story is so relevant because I think it's really easy to put a lot of emphasis on the outward obvious sin. Like anyone can point a finger and say, oh, yeah, she drinks too much or, oh, yeah, he gets around with all the girls. Like it's easy to point out um, the outward sin, but it's the inward hidden sin that can kind of creep up and um, affect other things in your life. And it reminds me of First Samuel sixteen seven that, you know, it's people that look at the outward appearance and the Lord looks at the heart. And um, also, like, out of the mouth comes what the heart is full of. And he says, guard your heart above all else. It's very obvious through Scripture that the Lord is always looking at the heart. And um, going back to pride, it's, you know, we accidentally get corrupted by pride or this, you know, spiritual entitlement, especially when we're on the right track and making great decisions. But when you look at Jesus, you know, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, you know, and became obedient and submissive to the point of death. And so it's like, how much more can we humble ourselves? And, um, you know, we definitely aren't equal with God. We have so much sin. And so I think that heart of just, you know, making yourself nothing like, that's an interesting thing to say, like making yourself nothing. That means like, you know, dying to your opinions or your judgment or your preferences. I think um, this is really relevant to me because when I was in high school, I actually had um, friends who didn't make the best decisions. And um, God just really did give me a grace to keep desiring him and just to be around those friends because you know, I didn't, they were amazing people. And honestly, like, I think the reason I was so drawn to them is because their hearts were so loving. And, um, even though they didn't make the best decisions that did bring destruction in their lives, I never, I always felt loved by them. You know, I never felt judged for doing my own thing or, you know, keeping to the right, keeping on the right path. I never felt like they were looking down on me or talking about me behind my back. And that made it so enjoyable just to be around them. And I honestly was really sad to leave them when it was time to go to college. I was like, I'm going to miss these people because most of them weren't coming to Auburn with me. But um, I remember freshman year, I was overwhelmed with how many like-minded people there were all around me. Like, I didn't even know it existed. I called my mom and I was like, Mom, I have like 20 friends that don't drink and that are, um, you know, peer with their boyfriends like they but I did notice something which you know you're exposed to a lot of different personalities and backgrounds in college um I noticed that a few different times you know there would be little snippets of gossip or like oh well those girls are downtown they must be bad or like oh we can't hang out with them because they're you know at a bar right now and I remember like it being a Friday night and sitting them sitting with these people who make amazing decisions and being so rubbed wrong by the conversation that was happening. And I didn't know what it was until later, but it really was just harboring that just self-righteousness and judgment. And, 
you know, James says there's only one judge, there's only one lawgiver, there's only one justifier, and he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And so it just, it felt like this tension of like, you know, yes, like sin does bring destruction, like it separates us from God. But when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, and soul, and strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbor. And that just seems like pretty much one of the most unloving things you can do is speak illfully about a friend or a peer Um, because, you know, our hearts should be to cover them, you know, and we should want what's best for them and to speak life, like not death and blessing, not cursing over the people around us. And I think it happens accidentally. Like we accidentally fall into this trap of thinking we're higher than or better than when really like it's not us. Like we should not even be thinking of ourselves too highly or too lowly. We just should be thinking about ourselves less. And when you have that kind of heart, there's not a lot of room to speak um, illfully or to harbor that kind of pride towards people. Yes. Oh, that's so good. I mean, you touched on so many great things and and you reminded me of something too. Like, it's funny, like being a mom now, and now I see girls in college, it's somebody's daughter, just like my daughter. And, you know, I can even look back to, you know, things that happened in college, whether it was a girl or a guy that, especially girls, you know, sometimes like, oh, you know, just she did this or she did that. You know, sometimes people could get a bad reputation really quickly and all the boys knew, whatever. And just looking at it very black and white and being judgmental, Mm -hmm. like she's bad, you know? Yeah. And and now I look back as a mom and I just feel, I I think about those situations and I feel so much sadness because I think, oh, like, you Mm -hmm. know, she, maybe, maybe she knew she was doing that or maybe she was just drunk out of her mind or maybe she was on drugs and just didn't even realize what was happening, you know, just some things. But, but now I know just doing the work that I do is like, oh, you know, she, maybe feeling a lot of shame and regret now, right. you know, and that is such a hard and heavy thing to live with. And so my heart is, my posture is so different now than it was back then, but it took me a lot of years and maturity and growth to get to that point, mm-hmm. to see her as a child of God and, you know, and to not, you know, just also see my sinfulness too, you know, mm-hmm. just like we talked about the hidden sins of the heart. But, um, but I think that's so true. And, you know, and I think about like, okay, so if we are, you know, if, if, if I if I am on a, a sin if I'm am, do, do have some major sins going on in my life I'm on a bad track or whatever and you know you've got those people who are are saddened for you or you know want you to get back on the, a good track so your Christian friends you know who if I'm ready to do that who am I more likely to go talk to you know who am I going to want advice from who am I going to mm-hmm. want to go to church with yeah and I think that's the mistake a lot of Christians make is like when you're ready to do right we're here we'll show you God's grace but. You know, if, if you've been judgmental and self-righteous towards somebody, that right. when those people, when they're ready to like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to, this this is leading to a lot of dead end ro- roads. I, mm-hmm. I don't have true friends. Like, this is not the path that I want to be on. I mm-hmm. want to find a better way. But they're not going to go to the people who are judging no. them and being all self-righteous. You I know? wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't either. And I think that's the mistake that the church can make a lot of times. And, you know, you look at people who are really deep and strong in their faith walk. And I can think of a lot of priests and preachers who I think are very good at this, that they're very good at saying, you know, this is the truth. This is how God is calling us to live. They do a great example living by those convictions personally, but yet they're not judgmental. And I think the key quality I always see is humility. Yeah, It's just, you've got to be humble. And I think that's something that we don't talk about enough is, and humility really comes by realizing our sinfulness Mm -hmm. and thinking, well, maybe I'm not like doing a wild night on the town every Friday and Saturday night, but I've got some major sins going on in my heart that nobody can see, but God mm-hmm. knows about. And it's keeping me from having a, a closer walk with him. And these are things I've really got to root out and, and work on. And so, um, you know, we talked earlier, like I, I love, you know, studying the lives of the saints. And one thing that you learn from doing that is that their personalities are also different. You know, their lives are also different, but what they all have in common is they are extremely humble And, you know, without humility, we don't have God's grace to even see ourselves accurately. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't have the grace to see others accurately. Like without humility, we lose God's grace. And I really think that humility comes from, um, what's what's the Bible verse about, you know, when I want to judge somebody else, you're, you know, take the speck out of his eye, take out the plank in my eye, like look at myself instead. And and I found that that kind of helps me sometimes if I'm like trying to, I'm sitting there judging somebody like, okay, think about yourself, you know, and 
And then you're like, oh, but I did this that time. And just that that's really what builds our humility is thinking instead of just focusing on the sins of other people. Yeah. Using that really as a prompt to be like, okay, well, look at myself and yeah. having that, that fearless self-inventory of like, okay, but this is what I need to be working on with right. God. I've never asked God to search me or test me to know my anxious thoughts, to see if there's any offensive way in me and to show it to me without him showing me at least six or seven things. Like there's <laughs> always something to grow on. And I think it's a beautiful thing when you're preoccupied with what God is doing in your heart because he's always doing something new. There's not time to like fixate and focus on the sins of other people. Yes, And you're so right. Like if I was going through a really hard thing, I'm drawn to people who are just like Jesus, gentle and lowly. And I don't know, like he's holy and he's perfect and he's creator and he's author, perfecter, sustainer, finisher. He's our righteousness, our shepherd. He's all these big things, but he also is our friend. Like he meets us where we're at. And I look at the people that were drawn to him in scripture. and It's not just these high and mighty people who think they have it all together. It's like the lowly and the cast out and the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And if Jesus, who was perfect with no sin, could hang around those people, like how much more can we? Like we have more common ground. So I think that's his heart. Just and if that's his, if that was, if that was how he walked on earth, clearly that's how he laid it out for us to walk on earth. Just not condoning sin, not approving it, not celebrating it, not um, hyping it up like it's something to celebrate, but having the resolve and the strength to love people through it. Like it's really a sweet thing to be able to do that. And it's kind of why, why we're here, you know, like, because God is our vindicator. You know, He calls things out and He makes things right. And He also had a righteous anger. Like when He was flipping tables in the city square when people were dishonoring the house of the Lord, like He hates sin and He, and he hates um, things because ultimately they sep- things that ultimately separate us from God. Um, but He loves people. And I think it goes back to um, that quote. It reminds me of, if we only knew everyone's story, we couldn't help but love them. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, the number of times I've just totally missed that mark. Um, I was telling you, Miss Carrie, about this girl who she was really involved with our youth group, and she was just one of those people who wanted attention all the time. You know, like we'd be having these intimate moments in small group or like with our pastor and it almost just felt like, oh, like she has to like change the mood and make people laugh and kind of like flirted with lots of guys and she read people the wrong way. And then it went on for the whole semester until the last night she gave her story of basically feeling rejected, unwanted and unseen by both parents, siblings, and pretty much everyone close in her life. And it wasn't until joining that youth group and experiencing Christ like the real thing that she felt love for the first time mm. and I was like Lord I'm so sorry like I just did not even I didn't even think about why she was acting that way and ever since then it's I still mess up but just having the heart to see people the way Jesus does is a gift because then yeah. you can't help but love them the way he does yes and it it is just like and just getting that grace to see them through new eyes and I don't know why I'm randomly thinking of this story of a friend of mine, and they shared, lost her dad, and they shared this story at the funeral. He was just like, he was like a Ward Cleaver type. I mean, just <laughs> honorable man, like mm. just, this, just they don't make men like this anymore. But he was in the hospital one night. He was like in the last weeks of his life, and the nurse on call basically like ignored him all night. And he, you know, had this pain during the night, and his family was so upset, and the doctor came in the next morning. And um, he's like, you want me to switch you to another room, another section? Like, you do not have to have this nurse anymore. And he was like, no, you know, I want this to be a lesson for my grandchildren. And so when Mm -hmm. that nurse came in the next day or that day, he was like, you know, I had a really bad night last night. And something tells me that you had a really bad night, too. Do you want to tell me about it? And from that question, like the floodgates open and she just shared her life story. She shared all the stress she was going through at home and all of this. And she turned, you know, and their relationship turned by, 
by him just having that moment of empathy, like you thinking maybe something more is going on below the surface. And so after that, they were great friends. And like from the rest of his time in the hospital, even when she was working on a different floor, different shift, you know, she would come and check on him. And I just think that's the transformative power of Christ when you Mm -hmm. show that love of Christ. And obviously there's different ways to do it, but I think he can give us that grace of like, how can I respond to this person in a way that will do that? And, um, and, and you were saying something too, and I, and I think that, I think we were talking about this. I think that one way you kind of know that maybe you're headed in the right direction, like say you're, you're seeing these things and it bothers you, but instead of feeling anger and pride and self-righteousness or like they're bad and I'm good, I think that the better response that, you know, if if you're feeling sadness, like Mm -hmm. that's maybe a sign that you're on the right track. Like, okay, I'm just, I'm sad for them because I know that this is not who they are, or I know that this is not going to help them get them, you know, lead them down the path. It's not going to help them find the joy and the peace that they're looking for. And it's that that sadness. And so I think that's the better approach is like, okay, you know, now, God, what can I do to maybe show your love to them or to be a light? And again, it's not meaning that if somebody, if a group, your friends are making terrible choices, it's not meaning that you, you know, go into situations where you're putting yourself in bad situations. I mean, we talked about this earlier too, that one of my favorite stories that I share when I'm talking to girls is that your friends do matter and who you're hanging out with, with does matter. And especially when you turn 16, I mean, for moms, I learned this, you know, when your, your kid's 12, you're dropping them off at somebody's house and you know they're there for the rest of the night, you know the parents. But when kids turn 16, like, you know, they can start the night in a totally innocent place. But if you're with friends that are not making the best choices, then you can end up at a party that you don't need to be at where some stuff is happening. And so... You know, and I, I have a friend from high school even says that she tells her daughters that, you know, she met this guy in high school and she was like, I thought it was fine. He was kind of wild, but he was sweet to me. And so she's like, we went on our first date and he took me to a drug dealer's house. And so she tells her daughters now, like, I would have been arrested just because I was there. I wasn't even doing drugs, but because I was with the wrong people. And so that's what you, you, we struggle with as parents is like, you don't, you're trying to protect your kids and help them have good judgment about where to be and who to be with. But at the same time, even if you have classmates that are making different choices, you can still be friends with them. Right. You know, you're in the band together or you're doing going to church together, like finding the common ground of, of what you can celebrate, what you're doing together and building that relationship. And then you never know what kind of influence you might be. And then at the same time, they're helping you with your heart issues, too, because, mm-hmm. some you know, you might be realizing like, oh, I've got more of a pride issue than I thought. And I've got to really work on this with God. Definitely. What you said about a sure sign of spiritual maturity is when your heart is sad, when you see people making bad decisions, like sin should break our hearts because it it breaks God's, you know? And I think a lot of the times that was what bothered me so much when, when my friends or me like found ourselves talking bad about somebody, it's like, this just sends the message that we're missing out or that, you know, that we're envying what they're doing or that we're discontent with where we're at, really that we're just missing out when those who seek the Lord lack no good thing, you know, like that's the truth. So even wasting air and breath, um, talking about people who are making bad decisions, like what kind of message does that send? It's just like that you're not satisfied with what God's doing in your life, which that's messed up. And so I think just being aware that, you know, it's a sad thing watching someone spend their life, you know, sowing to the flesh because that does reap destruction and it's an amazing thing having friends that sow to the spirit because that reaps life but um one of the ways you do that is by using your words to bless you know and to and to cover like in the old testament when um shem i think in japheth was his name their father was got really drunk and was naked and they carried a blanket and walked backwards turned their face the other way and covered him and that's just that should be our heart. We should want to cover people, um, you know, because we're all one body and one person's success, like that's our gain. You know, one person's loss is our loss. And yeah, just being able to really want what's best for everybody like that. That's the heart of Jesus. And I think it's easy to like, there's a way that seems right, but it leads to destruction. And we, we fall into the lie of thinking that like, oh, that's the way to do life because they're making these horrible decisions and they're getting all this positive attention and a lot of people love to be around them and they're really likable. And, you know, that might be short-lived and temporary, but 
it always leads to destruction and everything hidden is disclosed and it's easy to fall into the trap of like, well, it seems to be working out for them because, you know, even they're making bad decisions. No, like the pain, the pain that's to come, it's, it's inevitable. But the point is that, you know, every single time you choose things of the Lord, it's worth it. And it reaps fruit that you don't always see, but, um, just really believing that and knowing that in your heart, um, you can't help but just feel bad for people who aren't living in that kind of reality because that is abundant life and life that's truly life. So, And what do you think, too? You've raised so many good points again. Um, you know, like, you know, God is calling us to speak the truth in love. Yes. And that's something I've really had to love, learn as a mom, even whether I'm talking to my kids or whatever, you know, speaking the truth in love and say, say you see somebody who is on that destructive path and you're like, somebody needs to say something to them. And mm-hmm. you hopefully if you have a relationship, you're in a place. And I always believe in praying before you do it. Ask God to give you the words and also to show you the right time to do it. And that's kind of hard. Like I look back and I was, I've always been kind of a people pleaser. I do not like to rock, rock the boat. <laughs> I like more the peacemaker. And, you know, I kind of look back and like, maybe I should have said something then, you know, to, to my friend or whatever. Somebody should have said something to, something to me at this point, but nobody ever did. But I do think we, and we need those people in our life who will, when we're not on the right track, who are going to, to stop us. And that's a true friend. Mm-hmm. And I even have friends, they're like, you know, one was telling me she actually did that with a friend in college. She did it very lovingly. But um, but anyway, they're, they're not friends anymore. You know, not sometimes the risk you take, that sometimes if something needs to be said, but you know, one thing a priest told me one time that was really helpful because I always grew up and I'm like, I just like being the cheerleader friend. Like I love being the encourager and all that. And, um, I had a friend later in life and she was going through a lot of big things and not on a good track and nobody was really doing anything about it. And, you know, family was breaking up and everything. And I was like, I was like, I felt like it kind of like nobody, I needed to do something because nobody was stepping up. I was like, she needs the next level of help and nobody's doing that. And it was just heavy on my heart, so I called my priest, and um, and he was like, you know, he's like, I talk to families all the time that their child's, you know, fallen into addiction or something like that, and like, but they don't want to send them to rehab because that's not loving. And he's like, that's not love. And he's like, love wants what is best for a person long term, and that just helped me so much. And I was like, because that's not my personality. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want that kind of love. <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. that's hard to be that friend. Mm-hmm. And so it took a lot of prayer, but I'm like, I had to go. You know, I went to talk to her parents and just I was like she needs help like she's going to die if y'all don't do something you know and it was that's not my personality but I just knew I was like and I was and I had to kind of accept that like if I lose the friendship over this it's okay I mean I have to Mm -hmm. accept that because I know that this is what God's calling me to do Mm -hmm. so I'm not saying that's always that dramatic what we have to do if we if we do have a friend who's on a bad path, but that's the heart. That's the the fine line of what to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's. I think of another story I heard too that it was a girl who was in college and had a really bad eating disorder, and her parents didn't know anything about it. And her and they were like, "She is going to die. If she keeps doing this." And her friends basically kind of banded together and went to visit her parents and like, "Y'all have got to do something because she's not going to make it if if y'all don't step in." And so the parents did then, and she's healthy now, healthy family, healthy mom. But I think, gosh, like, that's so neat. But I don't know if I would have done that in college. You know, you just kind of think, oh, she's making bad choices and leave it at that. Mm -hmm. But then I look back, and I'm like, that's not really love because, you know, that's not – you don't want – you want them to have that long and healthy and fruitful life. So true. And so I think that's the tricky balance, especially when you're a teenager or in college. And um, and not that we're need, we need to bring these burdens on ourselves, because a lot of times our friends need help that is bigger than what we can give. Mm-hmm. But it is that balance of like let's love it, let's love them. But when something needs to happen, when they need help, especially in the college years, a lot of times the parents have no idea, yeah. and it takes those brave friends stepping in. But I do think you have to go go at it with the right posture of heart, because if you're not, and, and I always think about this like. Today I'm doing this for them, and next year they might be doing it for me. You know, but it, you know, it could just as easily the tables could be turned, and it's just going in with that attitude that you know I, I would hope they would do it for me if I was not headed in a good direction too. Yeah, and Proverbs says better an open rebuke than flattering lips. You know, the fact mm. that it says that just goes to show how that really is better and more beneficial sometimes when someone loves you enough to call you heart. And that's how Jesus was with us. You know, he, he loved people where they were at, 
but he loved them too much to leave them in their sin. You know, he, mm-hmm. he always, like he disciplines those he loves and, um, he corrects us. And obviously we're not, you know, we're not going to discipline our friends, but we, he did place us in people's lives for a reason to speak into their lives. And if you see something that you feel like might be worth to call out, that's such a sweet way to draw closer to the Lord and bring it before Him because He is so quick to show us the words and the timing because um, that's that's honoring Him and loving our friends. And I even have a friend who he used to be very involved with our church and then he got hurt and ended up taking a gap year and um, basically he has left the faith and it's really sad, but... I spoke with him recently and he said that he just wants to love everybody. Like that's his heart. Um, he wants to spend his life loving everybody, like the drug addicts and everyone he's around now. He's just like, I'm just going to love them. And I'm like, when I kept listening to him, what that looked like was celebrating whatever they were doing and encouraging them and whatever, however they were living. And I was thinking about it and I'm like, that really just is not love. Cause those things are bringing destruction on those people, and those decisions are going to be reaped in ways they don't want to experience later in life. So, and it's what you said. If it were me, if I had a hard thing going on in my life, a sin struggle, I would, or even something I don't see a blind spot. We all have blind spots. I would, and I have appreciated when someone is, instead of talking about it with a lot of friends first, being like, Mary Lauren, like, have y'all seen her? Like, it's the most loving thing when someone honors me by coming to me and being like, I've just noticed this and I don't know what that is. And sometimes it's like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize I was doing that. But, Mm -hmm. um, also it kind of wakes you up like, wow, like they have the confidence. They've carefully considered how to approach me about this. You can't help, but, um, be thankful for that kind of friendship. And, those are the people I trust if I do have serious questions or want to talk about something. So just trusting that God really has placed you in their lives to speak into them in a loving, gentle um, way that's for their benefit, you know, not for you to get the better word. Or mm-hmm. That's so true. And you, you called to mind another story I heard recently a friend shared with me that I've known her for years and I never knew this but it does show I guess just being the age that I am you see the long-term impact and that's why I'm like you know that little drinking problem might not seem like a big deal but I'm like whatever our issues are in our 20s they're just gonna if we don't deal with them Mm -hmm. whether it's drinking or anger or pride or whatever it is it's going to snowball and it blows up in your 40s and that's what you see and I think gosh I've just seen so many people lose their spouse and their kids and their, you know, job and their life because of addiction or different things. And you think, if somebody had just intervened early and it doesn't feel like love, you know, but if you, but you know, there's, there's a time to do that too. And, and even, you know, sometimes just knowing that your friends, if you're trying to make those decisions for yourself, your friends may not understand, you know, and it may may not understand until 20 years later. But I do have a friend that she said that her husband, he wasn't, um, he didn't drink all the time, but he, when he did drink, he just couldn't stop, which I think, which they say is an alcoholic. Like you, you can, might be able to go six months without drinking, but if you drink and can't stop, then that maybe shows you might be on that road. And so, you know, when he was in his late twenties, she's like, he just made the decision because they had children and she basically was like giving him an ultimatum. Like you've got to, you got to stop. Something's got to change because he was going out with his friends and, you know, acting like he was still in college. And, um, and anyway, he did, he stopped drinking cold turkey and she's like, it was hard. And she's like, you know, a lot of his friends didn't understand, you know, he was, she's like, he wasn't as much fun as at parties. And, you know, some of the friends we had kind of pulled back a little bit, but that's okay. But then she said, you know, now they're in their forties. And she goes, a lot of those friends have actually come back because they now have drinking problems and they've actually come to him for advice and for help. And I think that's just a great illustration of just what can happen over time on both ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. and how, you know, you know, we, we're all going to have struggles and we all need people to help us through those struggles and we need people to love us through those struggles. But I think because, again, he still had a relationship with them. He still loved them. They didn't just cut him out of their life completely. You know, they still kept that bridge there that when the other people came around, they they had that, they trusted him. You know, he was their, their person. And I think that's another example of how God can use our mistakes or 
even if you were in a wrong friend group, you know, he can he can use you there. And um, and just know that wherever we are, he wants to use us. And, and I think about, I had dinner with these girls one time from AA, and they were telling me about a friend that one of them, she was just talking about conversation, like, oh, yeah, she, you know, one of their friends in AA was just, she was like, she was just on the ledge last night. She was like really, really low. And I went over to her house, and I just had to help her and talk her through it. And she helped her kind of get over these dark thoughts that she was having. And I just sat there and thought to myself, like, and what did I do with my day yesterday? (laughs) You know, like, it's so easy for me to judge these people in the AA program. Like, they have wasted their life. You know, what are they doing with their life? But yet, just seeing that, like, even when they were in that dark place and even they're trying to get to a better place, God is still using them. You know, even no matter where we are, even if we're a wreck, there's somebody that we're in the same environment with that needs our love and our help and our light and just really being open to that and being Mm -hmm. willing to let God use us wherever we are, Mm -hmm. whether we're in a good place today or in a dark place, just knowing that we can show that love of Christ to somebody who may be on the, the, at the end of their road. Mm -hmm. And calling out the golden people too, like being an encourager, like what you said and being an affirmer and being quick to to say, I see this in you. Like this is a gift from God. Like there's so much potential here, like that he wants to use for his glory. And, the enemy is always going to attack those things that God wants to use to bring himself glory. And it's like Ephesians 6 that says the battle is never against flesh and blood. Like it's always against the rulers, authorities, principalities, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And if he says that, then like, okay, if I'm looking at someone who's messing up or sinning, do I think that that person is a problem? Because if I do, then I'm wrong. It's a lie that they're believing or the... Yeah, like a a tactic of the enemy to thwart them off God's purpose, and that should be what we're attacking. Like, oh, that's so good. That should be what we're going after, and because he's the enemy, you know. There's always been, there always will be one enemy, and it's Satan. Mm -hmm. And I think, first of all, when you build up that kind of friendship with someone where they know that you see the good in them, you you do call out God's gifts in them, you do affirm them. When you see something that's clearly not from the Lord. And you attack it as if you'd be attacking something in your own life that you know it's not your heart. It's just like a lie you're believing. Like going to war for that person might look like Mm. secretly praying for them in your room for weeks and never actually saying anything. It might look like um, going to them and saying, hey, like I see this. But again, it's, you know, it's remembering who the enemy is and, um, because sometimes, sometimes you never should say anything. Right. Sometimes all it will look like is you praying for that person. And um, like some things are more hurtful than they are helpful. And sometimes a harmless comment to a sensitive heart, mm. like it feels like a shot. And so yeah, you never know, like their hearts need to be fertile to receive. And your words need to be pure. Like what you said, do not remove a speck of dust in your a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye before removing the plank of wood in your own. There have been times that I see something in someone and I go to pray about it and the Lord is revealing all these things in me. And I even forget what that person is struggling with because like, I'm so like, <laughs> wow, there's so many things coming up in my heart right now that um, anyway, I think just even when you say you go through that process, you feel prompted to say something. It's not received well. Okay, well, you were faithful you can have peace knowing that you were faithful. And as far as it depended on you, you were honoring the Lord and with the thing you put on your heart. And maybe seven years later, they'll look back and be and say, by the way, that actually happened in high school. Um, there was a girl who went back to the same guy who it was just so toxic. And I remember it got to the point where I was like, hey, like, he's not the worst thing, but you are just so worthy of the best thing that it literally hurts me seeing just the repeated way he treats you and I see the way it affects the way you view yourself and the way like it changes your personality when you're with all of our friends and I just think that that's created this tainted view of how worthy you are because like this is what I see in you like this is the kind of guy like you could get and I remember she just didn't even say anything. She was so offended. Um, 
but I, I felt peace like that's in that moment. so good. I, I mean, I'm like, I, I know girls are listening and they're going to be like, that's how I can say it to my friend. But it's because you're showing like mm-hmm. you deserve better. And mm-hmm. this is why that. And it's so awkward. Like I was so yeah. uncomfortable. I'm like, well, this is not how I saw this going. Like <laughs> thought she would be like, you know, crying, like, thank you for saying that. And she wasn't, she was so offended. Um, but I was like trying not to smile because I just knew that I like did the thing I was supposed to do. And it wasn't until college, I think it was end of my sophomore year, that she called me crying because she was still, she had still been struggling with the same guy. And I think he had finally ended it. And she was like, I've never forgotten what you said to me. Mm. Like it gives me chills even right now. She's like, I never forgot what you said to me. And she was like, I wasn't ready for it. Like it didn't hit in the time and for the time being, but she's like, I see it now and I'm trusting that God used these months and months and years of going back to that guy. I'm just going to trust that he'll use it. But I wish I took you at your word and had made the decision in that moment because now she was dealing with a lot of repercussion, but there's no shame, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think that a lot of girls do feel shame for having that desire to be pursued and to be loved. And it's a good desire that God put in you to Mm -hmm. honor him. But when the wrong person is fulfilling it, it just, it brings, it reaps destruction and, and pain and sadness. And so I think just removing the shame from situations and being like, this is something you're doing, but it's not who you are. Mm -hmm. And this is how you're viewing it. But like, this is how God sees it. Like having, you have to have a personal relationship with the Lord to be able to see things the way like God sees. And like, that's what people need. They need his word and his promises and the way he sees them, not what you think. And so the more in tune you are with God's word and his agenda, the more fruitful and powerful and transformative those conversations will be. Yeah. And you raise such a great point about like, you know, we cannot change anybody. You know, nobody can do, we're not, we can't do that. We can't cause a transformation, but our job is just to plant the seeds. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the same thing happened to me recently. It's so true. And I I hear this about so many people that really make a major life change. Like it took three or four seeds being planted Mm -hmm. for them to finally take action or for their eyes to open to what God was trying to tell them or what he wanted them to do. And um, I saw a guy, an old friend recently, and he told me, um, his wife said something about how he was her DD for the night, designated driver. I'm like, oh, you're lucky. And he's like, you know, come over here for a minute because I want to tell you a story about that. And I'm like, okay. And he was like, I haven't had a drink in nine years, and you're part of the reason for that. I mean, and I haven't seen him in probably seven years. I mean, this is a couple I rarely run into. And I was like, really? So then I'm like, I'm very curious now. But basically, he's like, I didn't think I had a drinking problem. But he's like, you know, God started working. And, you know, his heart was fertile. So you have to be in that place where he was fertile and, you know, receptive to what maybe God was nudging him to do. But he was in the car one day, and his his little daughter, he just picked her up from preschool, and she just made an innocent comment about something about him liking to drink. But it was just an innocent comment. But it's like God kind of used that to nudge his heart. Mm -hmm. And then a few weeks later, he was in church. And um, they were reading some prayer, and it said something about, being a sound body and sober mind. And somehow that just the word sober, it's like God just took that word and just nudged it into his heart. And then a few days later, a few weeks later, he read this article I'd written about Alcoholics Anonymous and just the program and what a great program it is for those who work it well and just how it's really a healthy way of living that we all can benefit from. Like I've learned so much from my friends who are in Alcoholics Anonymous. Like I don't, I'm not in the program, but I, have, I know some amazing people who are, and it's just really powerful what happens in there. And he's like, I read that article. And he's like, and after that, it was like the third nudge I needed. And I told my wife that I was going to go to a meeting after that. And so it wasn't just, but that's just God. And I think that that's how he works in our life. And that same thing has happened to me too, that you get that one sign or that one seed and Mm -hmm. like whatever. But, you know, when you're planting the seeds, it can be hard because sometimes you are taking that risk of getting mad or them not understanding. Um, And so anyway, but I I just thought that was kind of neat. And just knowing that, you know, Mm -hmm. really discerning what God's telling us to do and the other thing you talked about that I loved, we're talking about, you know, we're not fighting the person. We're fighting, yeah. you know, we're fighting the enemy yeah. who's attacking the person. And sometimes they don't even see it. And I had another friend who, I mean, you get to be my age, you have, you have people, you know, people who have been through everything. You know? yeah. But she went through addiction with her husband. And um, and she was like, and it was crazy. Once, once she realized that he had been lying, she was like, I could catch him in lies. And it was crazy how quickly he could spin it, just like amazing and sounds so believable but at this point she knew that he was lying 
And, um, you know, she did Al-Anon, which is for the spouses or for the loved ones of people who are addicts. They go to Al-Anon. And one thing that they, they taught her there when you're living with an addict or dealing with that, they're like, you are basically the person you love has a monster on their back. And you're not attacking the person. You're attacking that monster on their back that they yeah. might not even know is there. And she said that visual helped me so much when I was like, you know, trying to make it happen for him to go to rehab, taking these hard steps to help him and to get him the help that he needed, that I wasn't attacking him. It was the mm-hmm. monster on his back. Mm-hmm. And I think that can apply to so many different things in life. You know, if somebody you're like, this is not who I know. You know, this is not the friend that I know. This is not, this is not, she deserves better than this. And if I don't step in, who's going to? Mm-hmm. And so um, anyway, I, I just think that's kind of neat to think about, like, Mm-hmm. Sometimes God is calling us to to play a role in their story and to think about well, what would I want them to do if this was me? Right. You know, that yeah. one day it might be me five years from now. Yeah, it might be you. And someone said that um, behind every sin, there's like a lie that you're believing, or even behind every struggle, there's there's an underlying lie that person is believing. Whether like I'm not worthy, or like God isn't going to pull through for me, or it's never going to get better, or there's all sorts of lies that I'm not beautiful or I'm not ever going to experience God's best. There's so many lies. And, you know, the Holy Spirit came to lead us into all truth. And he says in First John that we must not love with merely words and speech, but with action and in truth. And so that taught me a lot, too, about words. Like, yes, sometimes it's good to say something if the timing is right, but also just being a friend who isn't always like, oh, you're just the sweetest. Like, And that's hard in our Southern culture where every girl is like, you're the cutest and sweetest and most fun and radiant and angelic. Like, That's just what everyone, how everyone talks, and I'm guilty of that. But it's like he's slowly chipped away at my heart being like, no, they, I call you to love with action and in truth. Like, mm, that's not, good. not only, you know, flattering people with lips and like with your mouth and giving them compliments, but like, really imparting truth and that means like the opposite of lies so like whatever lies just bringing truth and I think it's so important it's like no scripture so that when you realize oh they're believing a lie that I'm not beautiful you can say well you're fearfully and wonderfully made you know his works are wonderful I know it full well or you know he's not going to pull through for me oh well he's going to richly supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches you know like there's thousands you know that are relevant nowadays especially because of how many lies that the world tells people um especially younger people actually not everyone honestly that you know it gives us this false sense that we can control our lives and is never in our control anyways but all that to say even loving in action has been huge because you know jesus just the way he lived was so appealing um and it, it raised questions of like why, like, why is he hanging out with sinners? Or, like, why is he drawing away to spend time with his father? Or, you know, why is he so at ease? Why is he not speaking up for himself? Like, all those questions. And I think, like, that's how I want my life to look. Just people being like, why is she just so patient with me? You know, like, mm-hmm. it's obvious that I'm being irrational or angry. Why is Mary Lauren just so patient and gentle? And why does she not get roused or, like, you know, I want my life to look like that to where I'm not just loving by like reacting with my words really quickly, but like by living a life of like consistent peace with the Lord, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, anyway, I think loving with action and in truth is what he calls us to not just words and speech. Yeah. You know, and something else I'm thinking about, we talked about this before we started, but I think it's so important you're talking about what you saw in your friend and saying that out loud. Mm-hmm. And especially if somebody's in a dark place or the enemy is kind of working on them, you know, in a way that they don't even see. It's so important to speak that truth and that life over them and then also see the potential. And I think that's the key that, you know, even if you see somebody and something's breaking your heart, you're like, oh, like, mm-hmm. you know, I see so much potential in them mm-hmm. and asking God to, God, please give me eyes to see them like you do. And you know, one story, and I shared this in Love Her Well. Let's see what chapter this is. It's called, oh, the chapter in Love Her Well is called See the Good, Loving Her As She Is and Where She Is. And basically, this whole book is about meeting your teenage daughter where she is, but not leaving her there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and so I think as moms even, you know, it's very easy for us to get fixated on those shortcomings or those 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 
traits of our children that we're like, oh my gosh, this is driving me crazy, and this gonna is gonna hurt her in life. And like, but how can I, God, how can I help address these things in her? And it's so easy to get fixated on these things we want to fix, especially as they're about to go to college, because you have this ticking clock. Like I got two more years, three more years, you know, to do this, and it we lose sight of their potential. We lose sight of what's right about them. We lose. We don't really see them as God sees them. Mm-hmm. And one analogy that really helped me, and I share this in the book, and moms have told me it was really helpful that. When Harry and I went to Italy for our 20th anniversary trip, you know, you go to Italy, you hear about Michelangelo all the time. You know, yeah. he is like the, the guy. And to actually see um, the David is his, was his greatest masterpiece. And to see this sculpture, what he had done out of a slab of marble in person, it's like you can't even speak. It's amazing. And so, you know, you, you walk in the room and it's this huge statue. It's just like, wow. You know, and so I really didn't even notice anything else in the room. We just went straight to the David and we had this great tour guide. And after we, we took that in, she actually showed us on the walls of the room leading up to the David, there were other marble statues, but they weren't completed. Mm-hmm. They were just like half done. And, and it was really cool because you could see like a half of a figure coming out or a wing or, you know, something like that. And she told us that, you know, these were Michelangelo's half finished sculptures. And he never got to finish them. But she said that when he was asked about how he how he could do this work, like how did he do this, that he basically said that, um, you know, when he looked at a slab of marble, he saw a figure hiding inside it that wanted to be set free. And so he's like, it's the job of the sculptor to just chip away that stone to get to that figure inside. So he like had this vision. And I thought, wow, you know, like that's how God sees us. Mm-hmm. That, and you know, we look at somebody like, like that's a bad slab of marble. I don't want it, <laughs> you know. Or we just see the slab of marble. But He's like, no, 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 no. Like He sees that figure inside. And so sometimes He will discipline us, or He's He's chipping away our hard edges, and it doesn't feel very loving at the time. But it's because He's trying to reveal the full masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And I just think, like, if we really could see our children and other people like that, like just seeing. You know, the world may just see the slab of marble, but if to have that vision, like Michelangelo did in his work, that's what made him so brilliant, that he had this vision nobody else had. And to really have that vision as Christians, like, oh, like, I see that potential. And being in ministry, and I'm sure you can relate to this, you know, it's funny, like, I, I meet a lot of people who do that, who can see that. Like, even, you know, they say there's, you know, there's this boy and youth group, and he's got a great personality, but he is off the rails. And you're like, oh, like, if he could just... If he could just pivot it, you know, take that same personality and yeah. put it toward Jesus or ministry, he's going to be unstoppable. That is so true. You know, and I think that's the way to like look at people and know that this is just a moment in time mm-hmm. and take those same qualities that they have, see their gifts and their strengths, and you just pivot it or turn it or channel in a different direction. Yeah. They could be amazing. Yeah. And, you know, it's helped me too because I meet so many people in ministry who were the wild child or they're like I was the boy you did not want your daughter dating you know mm-hmm. like they admit it and usually there's a story something that you know reason why but they're so effective because you know the you know if you've been on that long road of obedience sometimes it, that's, it's easy to get judgmental or prideful or whatever but when you've been the one who's been at rock bottom and you've experienced God's grace like they're the ones who can reach the drifters they can they're the ones who can reach those who are on the outskirts of the church or not even sure they want to go mm-hmm. and so it's just such a powerful testimony that like no matter what path our kids take or somebody takes, like God's not done with them yet, mm-hmm. you know, and he can still use, he could use the person you least expect yeah. to be really powerful, you know, once their heart turns to him and just really seeing that potential in people and thinking, what can I do to speak life? Like, this is what I can see you doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, they might not believe you like you're crazy. I've ruined my life. This is just too late. Like, no, mm-hmm. there's so much that God can do. And I think that's what we're called to do for each other mm-hmm. is just to try to like set that free. Yeah. Knowing that every single person we come across is created by God in His image for His glory, like no one has escaped that reality, you know, mm-hmm. and all have fallen have fallen short of the glory of God. And um, like when you know how God created every single person, like there's no guesswork. He definitely created every single person in His image for His glory. Then it's what you said. You're like, wow, like. Not only these giftings that he creates to use for his glory, that struggle he's going to use for his glory, like he doesn't allow struggles or hard things or sins to happen without an attachment of a promise that he can use it for something better. Like there's always an invitation to like surrender it to the Lord and like let him use it to display his glory even more. And I think about Paul in scripture, he was like, you know, God came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst like I'm the least like he is like the he was the one persecuting Christians and 
like turning people away from the faith. And then he ended up being like the most powerful instrument to like preach God's truth to the world. And I think about that and I'm like, there's nothing God can't do, nothing he can't use. And when we start viewing people in that light of like, even this is going to produce God's glory. Right. There's so much hope in that, you know, there's not this fear of like, Oh my gosh. Or like this, stress on that person there's just this like hope and mm-hmm. and there's an urgency because you know like you know our days are numbered and god is on the move and we want to partner with him for what he's doing on earth but there's there's that hope and attached to it of like no he's going to use this too yeah oh i think that's I, I so agree and i don't think like your generation can hear that enough because i mean what i hear over and over in my work is just the you know, y'all, y'all's generation thinks that they have to be perfect, and one mistake will ruin your life forever. Like, you know, a mistake can close doors. It can, like, lead to a lot of destruction and all that, but mm-hmm. God still can use it. And I think as adults, that's our job is, like, there's always hope through yeah. Christ. I mean, that's the whole message of the gospel is that who you're becoming is more important than who you've been in the past. And I do think that's why people like St. Paul are so important, you know, mm-hmm. to, to know, like, look, one of the— the greatest evangelist, you know, like he, he was killing Christians, went from persecuting Christians to being like the greatest evangelist, you know, that, that, that just shows what God can do. And, um, and that's why he had such, such humility doing it. And, you know, my other example that I love is St. Augustine, who was one of the greatest saints who ever lived. And he's most famous for this quote is, um, our hearts are restless, Lord, until they rest in you. And I just love that so much. I love that too. Isn't that pretty? And so he lived, he lived like 1600 years ago. So, you know, thousands of years ago, but you know, more than like, I think it's like more than 5 million words of his writings still exist today. And so he's still affecting us today. I mean, just, can you imagine like your work still having a legacy that, that is that long, but Mm. what's great about his story is that he was raised in the Christian faith and then he was a wayward child, you know, wild child, teenager, whatever. And his mom, his name is St. Monica, she became a saint too. And she prayed for his conversion back to Christianity for 17 years. And I just think, what, could I do that? <laughs> could yeah. I pray that same prayer for my child for 17 years? Like, I think a year sounds like a long time. Yeah. But she did it and she was faithful. And like right before she died, I think he came back to the Christian faith. And I think he became a priest and then a bishop and then just ultimately a saint. Mm. And I just think, you know, because of St. Monica, we have St. You know, we have Saint Augustine. And so just like your prayers, like your prayers for people, you never know. Like he could not mm-hmm. outrun his mother's prayers. And we're still benefiting from her prayers from mm-hmm. 1,600 years ago and mm-hmm. from his work. And just l- really looking at everybody like that, like you never know what God can do through anybody's life, no matter what path they've taken. Mm-hmm. There's always that hope. And like I said, people just need hope these days, whether it's um, you've made mistakes in your life or your child is making mistakes and you're worried and you're blaming yourself because you raised them in the church and now they want nothing to do with the church. You know, a lot of parents end up in that space in the teenage years, especially when their kids go to college. But just really don't underestimate the power of your prayers for somebody and the power of what God can do in Mm -hmm. their life. Yeah, and just doing your part. Mm -hmm. Because praying for 17 years would take more faith (laughs) than than I have ever personally had to use in my life. I mean, that, and it seems like a private thing of like, oh, well, she wasn't like openly rebuking him or like, I don't know. It, and we think about how it takes so much faith to have the confidence to say something, but really it takes faith to pray for someone for 17 years, believing that God's going to move on their behalf. And that was her role and God gave her a grace to do it. And we all have a role and a part to play that God wants to show us and impart to us. And it always takes faith, you know, like the quiet places alone when we're seeking him in prayer or the confrontation with a brother or sister trying to call out sin in their life. Like it all takes faith. And it reminds me of Romans 14 that says, you know, don't judge your brother who eats meat. Don't judge your sister who eats vegetables because nothing in and of itself is sinful. Anything not done in faith is sin. And so all that's just, it sounds kind of funny, like eating meat or vegetables, but really every single person there's not a formula on exactly how certain people should live their lives. And I think it's easy to think their lives should look like this, you know, right? they should be in that youth group. They should be in this small group or they should be talking like this. And if they're not, then they're off. They've missed the mark. And it's like, no, you know, just God has them on their journey. And, you know, 
with the measure you use, it'll be used towards you and don't judge or you too will be judged. And so what you're saying is just in the same way that St. Monica, just be aware of your role, you know, and because God's always doing something and it's like, how can we partner with him right now? That's what we're called to do and to be faithful with that. And the outward things of like, you know, whether we're, we're opening, calling someone out or staying quiet, you know, God will deal with those things. But the our, our call and responsibility to be faithful to what God is putting on our heart to do, that is huge. Yes. Yeah. And you reminded me of something, too, that it was a woman who's older and some moms who are about to be empty nesters, they're asking, like, how do we parent now? You know, like, what do you do in the empty nester years? And she's like, you're still parenting, but, you know, when, you're, when your child is at home, you're planting the seeds. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and then as they get older, you water those seeds you planted. And I think that's true just for the Christian life. Like, you know, you plant the seeds. You can't control what's going to happen, mm-hmm. but then you just keep watering them. You know, however God, listening to God and just saying, what is it you want me to do today? Um, and anyway, that's that's just neat. And I don't know how we were already almost at an hour, but I know we can speak for another two hours, which is so yeah. awesome. But, you know, I want to really, I want to make sure, let's kind of wrap up with something that, to me, what I feel like it kind of, I feel like it really sums up what we're talking about here. And that is the story of the prodigal son, which most people are familiar with from the Bible. And a few years ago, I read, um, and it was one of those things, God planted the seed on my heart. I'd never heard of this book. And within like a month, I heard like three different people talk about it. I saw this man reading at the gym. I had a friend tell me she was reading it, and it's from like decades ago. So I'm like, okay, God obviously wants me to read this book, but it was about, I think it's Rembrandt's painting of the, of the prodigal son that Henry Nouwen, he's this, he was this great, I don't know if he was a Catholic priest or an Episcopal priest, but anyway, he was, he's just a really, I mean, great, I mean, he was just a spiritual hero and just a great thinker and a great writer. And he just he just basically picked this picture apart, you know, from the lighting to the way that the father's hands are touching the shoulders of his son and just how one hand looks different than the other. And he goes, he talks about the prodigal son. He talks about the older brother. He talks about the merciful father. And it's just a really beautiful story. And it helped me because as I was in my 40s and, you know, we're starting to lose that generation ahead of us. It just it kind of summed up what I felt like our role is as parents that he basically said that, you know, and I've heard before that most of us tend to fall into one of two categories. Most of us are either the prodigal brother, the prodigal son, or we're the jealous older brother. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's so true, you know, and just personality or whatever. And, you know, the problem with the, the prodigal the prodigal son is he, he thought he didn't deserve God's grace. He had messed up too much to even deserve it. And then the, prodigal, the problem with the jealous older brother was he thought he didn't need God's grace. He was mm-hmm. prideful and self-righteous, and neither one of them are right. And then, you know, but then you have the merciful, compassionate father who had like mercy and love and grace for both of them. And, you know, what this book said is it, it, at the end, it said it's basically like we spend our lives being sometimes we're the prodigal son. Sometimes we're the jealous older brother. Like this is the spiritual journey that we're on. But the goal of the spiritual life is to become the merciful father to be the one that's able to give mercy and love and compassion to others. And for me, I was like, oh, this is the season of life I'm in. Like, that's what we're called to be is to rise up to the challenge. We're losing that generation. You know, my mom passed away a few years ago. My dad's 86, and I'm going to be heartbroken when we lose him because he's my rock. And um, and when my mom passed away and got sick, I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I don't want to be the strong one. I like having that ahead of me. And you just realize that as we grow up and grow mature, especially spiritually, God's calling us to be that person that strong, you know, the compassionate father, that compassionate parent to help our children and to not even, not only our children, but others too, and show a world that doesn't believe in mercy, what mercy and grace and compassion look like. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that before we wrap up. The only thing in my head is that like, not that I've obtained all this, but I press on to win that prize to which God has called us heavenward. It's like, none of us have obtained that, you know, and our friends, that are downtown right now drinking and our friends that are inside their rooms praying, no one has obtained that. Like I haven't obtained that. And it really just highlights every single person's need for God's grace. And, um, I'm just thankful that he's so patient with me. (laughs) I'm thankful for how consistent he is with me and always has time for me, always hears and is faithful to respond. And I'm like, I will never have to be as patient as consistent, as faithful to someone as he's been to me. And I'm just like, Lord, 
if you're asking me to not judge or to be self-righteous, yes, sir. Like, what else do you want? Because you've done that for me times more than I could ever ask or think. And so I don't know. That's what's on my mind. I'm just thankful. And I haven't obtained that yet. And well, you are, how old are you? 22? You're so, I mean, like, you have like the wisdom of a like 75 year old. I mean, I, you do. Well, I'm, I'm literally in awe. I'm like tearing up over here listening yeah. to you talk about the prodigal son. No, I mean, you are like, I mean, you are very, you are very rare and unusual. How old are you? 22? 22. That's amazing. 23 this October. I mean, now. okay. And just for those who are listening, so I live in Mountain Brook and mm-hmm. where's, can I announce this? You yeah. can announce yeah, so, <laughs> Anyway, so Mary Lauren, is um, she's been tapped to take over Donna Green's ministry, which I'm just, I think it was a brilliant choice. Um, it's the girls' ministry. And Mountain Brook, Donna Green was this amazing spiritual mentor. She did Bible studies for girls for 40 years. She passed away last year, and it was it was really heartbreaking. And um, it's big shoes to fill, but Mary Lauren is the perfect girl to come in and just take them at this into the next generation. And I'm just so excited that my girls are going to get to benefit from this and that now we can spread your wisdom with other girls and other moms too, just beyond Birmingham because you have so much, you have such a gift and such a genuine, pure heart. So I just, I can't wait to see what God's going to do just not only through you taking over Donna Green's ministry um, and leading and shepherding the girls that way, but also just what else is going to come your way? Because I think, I think you got big things in store. Thank you, Miss Carrie. You're welcome. Okay, well, thank you for coming on the show. Um, like I said, Mary Lauren and I will be back. We're not sure what our next topic will be, but we've got lots of ideas. Um, feel free to send them to me in an email or message either one of us on Instagram um, if you have ideas or feedback or comments. But um, thank you for listening. Mary Lauren, thank you for being with us today. Um, I just I could not have asked for a better person to have this conversation with. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for letting me. You're easy to love. Okay, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm so grateful to have you here. And if you enjoyed the show, please follow the Girl Mom Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen and leave a ratings or review so others can find these messages too. Also, my new book for moms called More Than a Mom, How Prioritizing Your Wellness Helps You and Your Family Thrive is now available everywhere books are sold. This book is for girl moms and boy moms and full of encouragement no matter what season of parenting you're in. Find the link to this book and my other books in the show notes. Thanks again for your support and have a great day.